together here in this space, we're going to dig into God's Word uh, as we turn uh, together to the book of Acts, chapter 2. The book of Acts, chapter 2, will begin in verse 37 and then follow along to the end of the chapter. The words will be on the screen if you would like to follow along there as well uh, as we together hear the Word of the Lord. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are yet far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and its hearing. So we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Uh, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, what a gift it is to meet with you and to center our time around your word. Lord, your word is indeed at the heart of our gathering. You spoke and you speak And we, your servants, listen. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see, our ears, that we would hear. Open our minds, we come to know and understand your word and your will, our hearts, that we would feel its power. Then I pray, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we, your servants, would offer on your behalf grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you remember uh, a game, Fortnite? It seems like it like came and then left, uh, or I'm sure some people still play it, but a few years ago, Fortnite had just blossomed into this thing, and my, my middle son, Aiden, uh, isn't much of a gamer, but as Fortnite rose uh, and ascended in popularity, Aiden played, and, and I remember I would go to his room and just watch because I was fascinated by this craze and, and what Aiden was doing. And so uh, Aiden and a couple of friends were on, and they had their head their headset uh, as they're strategizing and really, you know, just finding a way to talk to one another because, uh, you know, they don't talk to one another. They snap and they text, but they never actually talk. So video games were the way they actually talked to each other. And I heard uh, this, 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 this phrase as they were playing. I, I wasn't familiar with it. Um, a new person was added to the party, and they then were, were in the middle of a battle, and this one new person in their party was stealing all the kills. 
And, uh, and, and, and all of a sudden, this phrase came in. Uh, the phrase was, God, you're such a tryhard. Which was odd for me. I didn't understand this phrase. Uh, as I continued to hear them talk trash about this new party member and them trying hard, I realized that this was a derogatory term. That, 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 this, was, that this was a cut. And, and whenever, whenever they were t- saying that this guy was trying hard, that he was really good and he was much better than them, the way that they could get back at him for the fact that they sucked compared to him was to call him a tryhard. <laughs> and I thought, what are we doing to this generation? No, seriously, adults, we need to repent. We have been raising a generation that calls people who try hard names that would deter them from future attempts at trying hard. Have you ever done anything great that didn't require you to try hard? Of course not. And so I, I, I had to take Aiden aside and I said, Aiden, what in the world is going on? He's like, look, man, he's a sweat. He just tries, he's just a try hard. And I'm like, well, you just added a new term. Don't understand sweat. But, uh, but he's just a try hard. I can, I can stay with you there for a moment. All right. And I said, listen, uh, what's our family motto? And he said, Burnham's win. And I said, dang Skippy. And then, and then he said, and then I said, Aiden, how are you going to win if you don't try? I mean, how, how are you actually going to accomplish anything if you don't put forth effort? I don't want to hear that in your language ever again. If those come from your mouth, it's going to be, that, that's a new Burnham cuss word, okay? Like other people have like traditional cuss words in the Burnham household. We hear the word try hard, you're grounded. And so I said, actually, I, I want to hear other people call you that. And so we, we were at the, at the Tupelo basketball court, as we've been known to do. Uh, and and we, were, we were playing. I was uh, sitting this game out. And Aiden was hustling. And he was getting rebounds and getting steals. And all of a sudden, they were like, Aiden, you're such a tryhard. And I looked at him, and I winked with glory. <laughs> yes. Yes, we should actually give forth effort in that which we prioritize and set our minds to. Words are interesting things. We use them in, 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 in false ways that, that, that misconstrue uh, uh, meaning for ourselves and for others. And we really should evaluate some of those things, including the word church. I mean, think about some of the, the ways in which you hear the word church and, and, it's dis, and how it's distorted because of its use. We, we would ask, uh, where do you go to church? Right? Where do you go to church? Well, I, I go to this building at the corner of Kirkendall and Creekside Green. Huh. Yeah, 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 it's the one right behind the woodland sign. You're heading north on Kirkendall, and there's that big tower. That's, that's the church. I, that's where I go. I go to that church. 
uh, is that what church means? That place, that physical location where people go? Or, or, or when is church tomorrow? Well, well, church tomorrow is at 9 or at 10.30. Oh, when are we going to church tomorrow? Oh, oh well, well, we're going to go to the 10.30 service. We're going to go to church at 10.30. Because church is now constrained, not just by location, but also by time. Church happens uh, at, in, in this 65-minute window, give or take five minutes, uh, uh, from 10.30 until 11.35 on Sunday mornings. That's church. Box. We put church in. But today we read a scripture that was about the origins of the church. The, 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 the initial uh, witness of the church on Pentecost in Acts. Now we didn't read the Pentecost story as the disciples gathered and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And, and they were speaking in languages where everyone understood them. And people wondered if they were drunk. And, and then, they, uh, th- then they were curious about what was taking place. So Peter then stands, for, uh, stands up and gives a, a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tells them about who Jesus is. This is the beginning of the church. And when we think about the beginning, we could think about those 11 and then 12 disciples who were uh, very much different and unique. We could think about Peter and, and how he was uh, rock solid and strong, how he had a fighter mentality, who, how Jesus said that this is a rock on which my church will be built. He's a leader and, and he has some, some years of wisdom and of age amongst the disciples that is respected. We, think, we can think about Matthew. Matthew is a, a tax collector. He, he's one who was, uh, who, who was shunned by his community because of, uh, of what his profession was and how he operated within that profession. Because who's ever heard of a good tax collector? Amen? Amen. And then we can think of John who was but a, a kid a teenager by most accounts uh, who, uh, who was still yet one of the disciples, but, but in his uh, innocence and fervor, he, he, he carried a unique witness amongst the 12. Each of the 12 were unique and different and, and had different uh, challenges and motivations. And there's Thomas who, who, was, who was a thinker and a processor uh, all up in his own doubts and his wonderings. These were individuals who came together. I think that, that, that that's, that's key for us. As we think about the, the 2.5 billion Christians around the world, we could get lost in the number and wonder what does it even matter for me? But it matters to Jesus because you matter to Jesus. You see, the gospel just keeps moving smaller and smaller. The church gets more and more focused so that at its core, the church is a group of individuals. Have you sat with that ever? I am the church. Now that seems daunting. I'd rather point to a building or a location or a, a time, right? Those things would be simpler. But, but to, to claim that truth that the, that the church of Jesus Christ is 
a group of individuals. Individuals who, who, who've been bound together, uh, who, who are uniquely different, but yet been bound together through a set of experiences that have transformed their lives. Uh, I, I know what that's like, and I, I believe that you know what that's like as well, that, that you could be bound to someone else even when you don't know them well. I, I don't talk about this often because I know that sometimes uh, th- there might be a little bit of like uh, curiosity and wonder around it. And when I was in college, I was in the Centenary College Choir. I was a choir boy, literally. Um, and, and the Centenary College Choir is, is a historic institution in Shreveport, Louisiana that, that travels all across the United States of America on weekend trips, singing in, uh, in concert halls and churches. And then every other year we travel internationally. And because you spend so much time with the choir, uh, not, not just in rehearsal, but in travel and in life experience and, and cross-cultural experiences, what takes place in the choir has a deep transforming effect on your life. Think about those experiences for your life and what it's like when you get back together with those individuals. Well, we, we, have, uh, we have a concert every fall in the choir called Rhapsody in View. And when Rhapsody takes place, uh, it fills the downtown uh, uh, convention center. And uh, it's a, a fantastic concert. But uh, we have anniversary concerts where all of the alumni come and sing half of the concert with the current choir. I'll never forget when the 50th Rhapsody in View concert was held, and, and we filled the stage with some 500 singers. Can you imagine? It was crazy. And I was just smack dab in the middle, and that was a full weekend experience because we have multiple concerts and we have all of these uh, gatherings and these meetings and people from different uh, decades hold parties and we as the current students would go to each of the different decades. And one of the things that I realized was I was caught up in something that was so much bigger than myself. It wasn't just about the choir that I was in. Those four years of my college life, I was bound up with people that I had never met before. And we were bound together because we each had experienced transforming power through our college choir journey. So for some of you, that's the... Uh, the fraternity or sorority that you were in in college. For some of you, you, you started a company with a small group of people and those life experiences will forever shape who you are. Some of you started a church together. Some of you started a small group together. And when you are around those people, you know that that shared experience of transforming power binds you together. You all are diverse individuals, but you're united through transformation. 
I believe that's what we're to see uh, in this scripture when the 3,000 come to faith in Jesus Christ. We could get caught up in that number and we're like, wow, 3,000? 3,000 baptisms in one day. And all of a sudden our sacrament team starts wondering, like, how do you even administrate 3,000 baptisms in one day? Like, like, do we have enough water for the 3,000 baptisms? Uh, And towels and all the stuff, right? Like, 3,000 people were baptized And we could forget that those 3,000 people were each individuals who've experienced life-changing grace through the love of Jesus Christ. And, and And they're diverse, in fact, not homogenous. Their diversity is exemplified in a couple of verses that we didn't read at the beginning of chapter 2, uh, the, the beginning is in verse 1 where it says, when the day of Pentecost came. Now, Pentecost, we as Christians have adopted as the day in which the Holy Spirit came upon the church. True, yes, Pentecost is also a Jewish celebration that takes place 50 days after the Jews offered their first fruits in the temple. And this would be a celebration that would draw Jews to Jerusalem from all over. A, a diverse set of, of, of faithful people. And in verse 5, it, it, it makes it clear even further. It says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, me, now there were staying in Jerusalem God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Every nation in Jerusalem. So now you can begin to picture the 3,000, not just as 3,000, but as a, a, a wildly diverse group of people who have one thing held in common, their Jewish faith. And then, and then something extraordinary happens. Those 3,000 are not only merely bound with their commitment to Jewish law and the fear of God, they're also a people who hear the witness of Jesus Christ and respond. They respond in faith and they hear Peter's sermon and and it says that they're all cut to the heart. I want you to think about that experience for you. When you were first cut to the heart where there was a a spiritual conviction of faith in you. That that you knew that that this Jesus witness was something profound not just for some other people but for you individually. And when when you came to know Christ through faith, that cut to the heart. Now they share it and they call on Peter and they say, what are we to do? What is our response? How are we to move forward? And Peter says, what what, what you believe, now you repent, you're baptized, and you receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. 3,000 added to the church. The church was 12, then it was 3,000, and all 3,012 of them had the same experience of transforming faith, repentance, baptism that led to the receiving of the Holy Spirit. You see, these individuals, diverse as they were, are now 
united through transformation. And that's who, who we are as the church. Uh, when I look out on this crowd, I, I, I know that, that each of you has your own story. The, the backgrounds in this room are as diverse as there are people, but each and every one of us have experienced that heartbroken, open faith in Jesus Christ that has transformed. So now, now we move, we shift from I am the church to we are the church, bound together, unified through transformation. This transformation then, then leads to activity. And this activity is, is, is uh, qualified with a, a particular word in verse uh, 42 of chapter 2. It says that, that this group of people, now referred to as they, uh, devoted themselves this group of people is a devoted people, a people who, who are devout, which means that they are deeply uh, committed to a set of beliefs that result from this transformation. And you might even choose the word devotion, that they exemplify devotion in their lives. This is a group of people that's trying hard. They're trying hard to live out the faith that they have received. And that's not something to, to be downplayed or degraded, but it's something to be celebrated. They have uh, an absolute conviction that, that what has transformed them is worthy uh, of their devotion. And they're devoted to, to five specific things that, that become the core practices of the church that, that outline maybe the ABCs of our faith. This is how we, the people of God, respond in unity through transformation. They devoted themselves to these things, to teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayer, and generosity. Teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayer, and generosity. Last week we spent focused attention looking at, the, at a, a core function of the church being prayer. I'm not going to now preach four more sermons this morning on what teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and generosity look like. But I'm here to tell you that our devotion is a witness to our unity in diversity through transformation. And when the people of God come together with that sort of devotion, whenever they, they don't stop meeting together in fellowship, whenever they gather together around holy meals of sacrament and around household meals of fellowship, uh, there is, a, there is a, a bound togetherness that takes place. Whenever they gather together uh, around prayer and their hearts are poured out to God in submission to his will and in a desire to articulate their heart's desire to their father that's so eager to listen, they are united. Whenever they're so humble that they're willing to receive teaching, they're united together in their learning about who God is and who they are in relationship to God, whenever they're generous, 
whenever the people of God are so bound to one another that they care for each other's needs generously. They are unified. And did you catch the very end of that passage, verse 47? It says, in their devotion, in their focused work together, they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all people. And it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There is power in the witness of the church when we are united in our diversity through our transformation. Each of us as individuals have experienced the life-changing work of Jesus Christ that, that, that heals our brokenness and restores our lives that we then can have a new life in Jesus and in that new life, we're joined together, the people of God, to bear fruit for his name. Let our unity bear fruit because we are the church of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come before you knowing that, that your work in us leads us in community with others. That's what it means to be the church. Lord, revive us. Revive us individually. Awake us from our sleep and slumber. Help us to pursue you fully and intentionally with our whole lives. And now we ask, oh God, that you would bind us together, one with another, in mission and ministry to the world. Lord, you are so faithful and so good. I ask you, O oh God, to, to restore us, your church, so that we might be on mission together in the world. Bear fruit through us, we pray in Jesus' name.